there is opportunity to always be searching for gaps within your company if you're looking for advancement opportunities. And if you find those gaps, be sure that you're going into those conversations very prepared, factual, not emotional, and sell yourself. Use it. Use this as a tool to sell. And then when it comes to parenthood and being a parent and working as a parent, try to be more unapologetic. Make sure that you're working for people who truly support you as a mother, as a father. Um, and honestly, have fun with it, right? Make sure that you're time blocking to, to give yourself time to not get overwhelmed, to have time to really be one-on-one -on -one with them. And ultimately, just go out there and put your head down and crush it. Hey, friends, this is your host, Cesar Romero, and you're listening to Beyond the Job Title Podcast, the show that explores the human experiences that shape our professional and personal lives. My guest for this episode is Katie Penner. Katie started her career as a sales development representative and quickly worked her way up to become the head of sales development strategy and enablement at Sendoso. She is also a self-proclaimed professional chaos manager balancing the responsibilities of being a devoted mother to two children while excelling in her career. And in our conversation, we dive deeper into Katie's background from the pivotal moment that led Katie to Sendoso and build a career in sales to what made Katie successful in her role as an SDR. Where does her drive to always be and do her best come from? and how to identify gaps and inefficiencies as a way to move up in your career and how to build a case for why you might be the right person to close those gaps. We also cover motherhood, burnout, the power of mentorship, and so much more. So if you are a parent and especially a working mother, this episode is especially for you. Thank you so much for joining. And here is my conversation with Katie Penner. While I was reviewing your LinkedIn profile, I noticed that you have a recommendation from Angela Alberti. And yeah. Angela worked at People 2.0 oh. uh, for many years, and she gave you an amazing review. But I got a chance to work with her for a year at her startup. Oh, really? So I was just curious about that. Yeah, yeah, she's an amazing woman. I respect her so much, everything she's done. So when I saw that, oh, that immediately st stood out to me. Angela is amazing. I'm obsessed with her. She, we were like best friends when we worked there. We'd go over to her house and our kids would play together. She is a powerhouse. She is so good. She was my boss back at People 2.0. And I mean, she knew her shit. She was on top of it. She was just, gosh, I mean, you talk about be working for like a powerful woman. That was an amazing experience. And I think the first time I had worked directly for a woman and it was just a really, really cool experience to, to see a woman in a position of power like that. It was really inspiring. Was something specific that stood out to you in terms of like how she led teams, how she led herself that made you realize, huh, I want to emulate that when I have a leadership role. So Angela, what was really interesting about her is that she wasn't afraid to get in the weeds, right? 
First of all, she knew what she was doing. She was super confident, super, super well-versed in what we were doing. I mean, I remember watching some of the most experienced sales reps make calls versus Angela, and it was like night and day. And so you could just sit in her office and watch her make calls, and I would be taking notes. (laughs) But she would get really involved with us, right, with the team. She wouldn't just say, hey, go make all these calls, whatever. She would be in there doing it herself. When it came to training, she wasn't expecting us to just read a training manual, whatever. We were getting trained by her. Hey, come sit in my office watching me make some calls, right? And so I think like that in the weeds, the ability to get in the weeds that much was so impressive and to actually be involved with the team and constantly give feedback. I mean, our desks at People 2.0 were right outside of her office, right? And this is a in-office position. It was so great because we got to hear her all day, every day. And she's just, gosh, incredible. It was an amazing experience. Yeah, she's amazing. I had the opportunity to work with her virtually and in person. And I can attest to that. She's a superpower. And we'll put a pin to that because I want to come back to that. But just to set the context, right? And and for listeners that might not be familiar with Sendoso, what they do. Give us a quick summary version of Sendoso, what they do, what problem they solve, and what is your current role? So Sendoso is a direct mail platform. We basically make it easy for companies to send anything to anyone, anywhere. My name is Katie Pinner, and I am the head of sales development strategy and enablement at Sendoso. And that's basically a really fancy way of saying that I help our internal SDR, BDR teams I copyright all of our sequences. I also train and enable our customers, SDR and sales teams to properly utilize direct mail on their outreach. How did you get to Sendoso? And what was a pivotal moment in your career that led you to Sendoso and even build a career in sales? Great question. I got my degree in early childhood education and During that time that I was getting my degree, I had my daughter, Riley, and Riley was born prematurely. It was quite an experience. It took some time off working. As I was going back into the workforce, I got offered, I was applying for different jobs and I got offered a job at Grubhub Corporate, which I'm in love with food delivery services. So it seemed really exciting. And it was for this role where I would go into businesses and try to get them to order all of their food, right, for luncheons, lunch and learns, that sort of thing through Grubhub Corporate. And it was a really fun job. I got to take people a bunch of free food and get them to sign up. And so that was my first step into kind of the sales world. And I loved it. And there was this sense of flexibility too, right? I was starting to raise my own kid and realize, oh my gosh, like one kid is enough. A class of 25, I can't imagine. Shout out to teachers. You guys are the angels on this earth because I realized that I'm just not built for it, right? And I was enjoying this hustle of sales. And how I got into Sendoso was that at one point I was working for a company called People 2.0. And We had gone through some leadership changes. The company was acquired. And the recruiter that actually got me the job at People 2.0 called me during that shift and said, hey, I know that some people aren't feeling happy right now with the shifts. 
Maybe you're feeling a little stuck and maybe not. Maybe you're happy. But I do have a role at this company called Sendoso that you might be interested in. And I was kind of feeling a little stuck and wasn't super passionate about temp work and what we were doing at People 2.0. And so I called my cousins and they work in tech and SaaS. And and I asked, do you, have you ever heard of Sendoso? And both of my cousins on different sides of the U.S. were different companies, right? Were actually both Sendoso customers and were raving about it, loved it. And that was amazing. And so I was like, okay, I'll actually take a look. So I went to Sendoso's website, figured out what Sendoso does, right? And it just really aligned with me as a person and my passions. I My love language is gift gifting and in my personal life. So those values were really aligned. And everyone that I spoke to at Sendoso was very happy and loved what they did. And so... I took the interview and I landed the job and that <laughs> that's how I got into Sendoso. That's amazing. One thing I want to ask you about gifting. What where do most people go wrong with gifting, whether personal or or in business? Yeah, it's a great question. I think personal, right? I think the biggest mistake in your personal life that you can make is not personalizing the gift that you're giving, not thinking it through, just buying some random thing off the rack with no thought into it. I was just, I just posted about this on my LinkedIn. Like, I think one of the most significant gifts I've gotten recently was a sushi cake, right? Which was basically just a sushi bake as a birthday cake. And it was so personalized to me and that's why it was so impactful. So personally, I think you need to really put some thought into the gifts that you're giving people in your personal life. Now in business, the big, the biggest mistake that we see with sales reps, with SDRs is that they are using gifting as a bribe, right? Mm-hmm. Saying, hey, in exchange for your time, I'll send you a $50 Amazon e-gift. And this is bad for multiple reasons, right? You are potentially just getting a meeting so that person can get an e-gift and goes to you. Or if you're reaching out to ATL personas, right, these VPs, C-suites, they're going to get kind of offended by that, right? Oh, you only think my time is worth $50. And so that becomes a problem too. I think the biggest thing that you can do as a sales rep with gifting is, again, personalization, making it tailored to that specific person. Go do some research. Go listen to a podcast like this that they've done so that you can get little nuggets of information about what they enjoy and you can really personalize that gift. I love that. So personalization is key. Because even sometimes as a husband myself, sometimes I'm like, what did I get my wife? But there's that pressure of, I, I don't want to get something generic, right? I don't want to get something that's just like a $50 gift card, right? So there's some pressure there, but I think personalization, right, is, is key, right? Because it makes it, it's about the emotion that you can make the other person feel like they are unique, like they matter, right? Right. Now, do, does gifting work even when receiving gifts might not be the other person's love language? Yeah, I think so. As long as you put thought behind it, right? So here's an example. If I offer you $50 to meet with me for 30 minutes, 
And I'm not really talking about a pain point that I'm solving. I'm not leading with value and you see it as bribery. You're probably not going to respond to me. And if you do, it's probably going to be a negative response, right? Whereas if I say, hey, I see that you're attending this conference. I know that they can be exhausting. Here's a $25 coffee e-gift to grab some coffee on me today, right? And with nothing else. And then at that point, you're probably going to reply, thank you, or this is so sweet, so thoughtful. And then at that point, I can start an organic conversation with you. Hey, I'm curious, how are you solving for X, Y, Z, right? And we can just start this natural flowing conversation that seems to alleviate some of the pressure that buyers feel today. So you get to Sendoso. Before getting there, have you had experience with the SDR role before Mm -hmm. Sendoso? Before Sendoso, I was an SDR at People 2.0. So selling something totally different, but it was still Mm -hmm. that SDR role. It was very call heavy. Email 2 was involved, but we were reaching out to recruiters. So it was very phone call. They're always on the phone. So it made sense. We met them where they were. But Sendoso was really my first step into this tech SDR role, this really nitty gritty SDR role. And I started at the bottom and was able to work my way up to enterprise SDR and then experience more growth from there. Looking back at the the SDR role, what were some of the things that made you successful? And what would your advice be to other maybe people that are looking to pivot into tech and they're looking at the SDR role as as an entry, Mm. entry role? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with the SDR role is to keep your head down and do the work, right? It's really easy to get caught up in the nose as an SDR and to get defeated. But I started thinking, you know, hey, every no, I'm getting closer to a yes and would kind of make it this mental game. And that made it kind of fun. And I also think another thing that helped me be successful was that I questioned everything. Mm. If some element of my process wasn't working, I was asking why, talking to my manager and constantly getting feedback. So, and being open to it, right? And changing those things and being adaptable. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would say in that SDR role that that made me successful. Where does that come from? If you don't have the answer asking why, is that something that you always had or was it more of because of the environment that's in those cultivates, you feel comfortable asking those questions? Yeah. So I think it's a combination of both, right? I've always been a very competitive person. So the SDR role is very competitive, right? You have, and of course it's collaborative as well, but there's this fun environment of competitiveness where you have these group dashboards, typically you're, you want to match up or exceed your peers and It keeps it fun, honestly. And I think also on the flip side, right, I was able to have a very open dialogue with my manager at the time where I could say, hey, this is frustrating me. This is not working. How can I fix this? Help me guide guide myself to success, right? And I think that that was kind of stemming from this need to succeed, this this drive to, to be the best. And Yeah, I think that's always kind of been a a part of me. And I think that is what I've seen some of the best SDRs that I've had on my team have as well. And just the ability to really focus and narrow in on your goals and to constantly remind yourself of your whys and what you're working towards. 
Yeah, doors are a driving force. If you are constantly reminding yourself of why you're doing what you're doing and focusing, right? Which is very hard to do in this day and age. <laughs> what were some of the trade-offs that you had to make when you went, when you transitioned from being a successful SDR to a more of a leadership role? Yeah, so my history with that, right? So I was an enterprise SDR and kind of the transition that happened because I didn't immediately jump to management. So when I was an enterprise SDR, my whole thought process was these sequences are so bad. My pocket's hurting, the company's pocket's hurting. And so at the time when I was an SDR, we had a content committee. So a few of the best SDRs, the highest performing SDRs, including myself, we got together. We would be assigned one email out of a sequence and we would be told, hey, we want it to include this case study, whatever. And so we'd all go out separately, write these emails and then come back and stick them all together. <laughs> and as you can imagine, those sequences were terrible. There was no story being told. They were all different writing styles. Some were like two pages long. Some were a paragraph long. I mean, it was just a mess. And so as a result, we were getting like 2% response rates, right? And I was so frustrated with it because I'm like, look, I'm putting all my prospects into these sequences and it's hurting my wallet and it's hurting the company's wallet. So sat down with my boss, Ryan, at the time and I was like, look, this has got to change. We need someone in seat that's a good writer to come and rewrite all of these. And we can have these amazing response rates. Like, why are we dealing with this? So basically, Rayanne told me to come up with a plan. And so I did. I wrote a plan of how I was going to break down these the sequencing by persona, ATL, BTL, like their purchase stages, all these really targeted things so we could get really narrowed in and personalized. Well, as personalized as possible in a sequence. And I pitched that to Rayanne, came back and then ended up pitching that to our CRO at the time, Sam. And they approved it. I was like, look, I mean, what would it mean for you and the company if we were able to double, triple these response rates, kind of use those selling skills there? And I, they moved me into a lifecycle marketing associate role. And so at that point, I rewrote all of those sequences. And that took a lot of that really focused energy, right? Because that was not easy. That's rewriting a ton of content, mm -hmm. focusing on that with the SDR role. You know, if I was getting bored of making phone calls, I could switch to email or LinkedIn, right? There was something else to occupy my mind. So I think the biggest like trade-off there was that I had to be narrowed in on one project and to get that project done. And it was so difficult to stay motivated at times. But we were able to release those sequences. And in the meantime, I was also working on direct mail campaigns in that marketing role for the SDR organization. And I wasn't, I had never created a direct mail campaign before. And I came up with these quarterly bundles. They ended up being really successful, actually. They brought in 25 to 26x ROI, which is crazy. And then once we released those new sequences, I, we got, we were in between, I think it was 10 to 12% response rates. And we've, we're constantly evolving. So I, we released some more and now we're at like 20 to 25, which is insane. 
so it's just, it, I think it's obviously I never got to use those sequences as an SDR, but what's great is that now the SDRs that, you know, and then I moved on to being a manager, but it was so amazing to see my SDRs seeing so much more success and actually trusting sequences to bring in results. And so I think that gap was obviously worth solving because it benefited me once I stepped into my management role after that lifecycle marketing associate role. I love that. You saw a problem, you brought it up to light. And not only that, you, you pitched it, came up, came up with a plan, pitched the plan, implemented it. And it ended up being successful. And I think mm -hmm. that's an approach that whether you're looking for a job or whether you're in the job, right? I think that's an approach that can make you invaluable on a team, right? Because you're someone that's, you are showing a growth mindset. You're showing that, hey, things can always be better. We can always improve. I'm curious your approach on how you pitched the plan. Because I feel like a lot of people get stuck in, in, in how to talk to leadership and the C-suite on, hey, I have this idea and I know it, it can work, but where they fall flat is when they pitch True. it, right? So I'm just curious, like what, how do you pitch it and what were some of the elements that, that someone could, could borrow from you? Yeah, so there's a lot of prep that went into that conversation, right? So months before, I even went to Rayanne or Sam and tried to position myself as the person for the job. Mm -hmm. I was proving it out. Right. So I stopped using sequencing that wasn't working when I was an SDR. And instead, I started writing my own emails and as a result, booking my own meetings. Right. Mm. They already noticed that my emails were outperforming the teams. And during that time, I also bought myself an individual license of lavender, used my own credit card. And so that was constantly helping me evolve my writing style too, right? I'm taking trainings with Will Allwright. I'm really getting in the weeds of what works with sales emails because I'm a good writer, but there's a difference between being a good writer and a good sales outreach writer. There's different elements there. So I'm training myself as an SDR to be the best in my org at this and to really be able to back that up with statistics. And then... Once I talked to Rayanne and I said, hey, I am the best at email writing. There needs to be someone in the seat to rewrite all of these. She says, come up with a plan. So I start an Excel spreadsheet and I start thinking about, okay, look, if I, what were the best, what are the best sequences that I could ask for as an SDR? How personalized can I get with sequences? So I started thinking about all the different things and all the different ways that we could segment our audience, right? ATL, BTL, are they above the line, below the line? Are they marketing or sales or all these different breakdowns of roles? And then I also started to think about industry, sixth sense, purchase stage, right? All these different things. And so I segmented those into a Google Doc and then came up with a plan, eight sequences that I would start with writing that were very hyper-targeted for sequences. And not until I had that completely baked out did I go back to Rayanne and said, mm -hmm. okay, Rayanne, here's my plan. And during that conversation, both with Rayanne and with just Rayanne and Sam, my CRO and my director of sales development, both of those calls I entered and I was completely factual. Hey, here's where our sequences are at today. And this is why this is a problem. 
There was no emotion brought into that conversation. I think you need to be really careful about being emotional when you're talking to C-suite directors, et cetera. You need to come at them with facts and tell them how you're going to help them solve their problems. It's the same as a sales pitch, kind of. So basically said, hey, here's where we're at. Here's why we're struggling. Here's why this matters. And here's a plan for improving this. Here is why I am the person for this plan with those statistics that I talked about. And so at that point, it became, hey, what would it mean to you if we doubled or tripled our reply rates? What would that mean for our profits as an org? And what would it mean to you if we didn't do that, right? And we stayed with these sequences. And so at that point, I was really targeting a pain point for my leadership and, and offering a solution. I love that, especially making, building a case for yourself and why you are the person that can solve that need. Because I think a lot of times we forget that that's a very important piece of whether you're, whatever you're pitching, right? Like why you and do you have any data to, to back it up? And yeah. I love your thinking of you were building that up, right? And it took a little bit of time, but that's so important, right? Because you need those wins to show, hey, I've been doing this and I have a feeling that if we implement this on a bigger scale, right, it can have bigger results. So that's genius. I love that. Yeah, Yeah, the plan worked really well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to shift gears to parenting. I'm a dad myself, right? I have a five-year-old and there's one on the way. And and being a parent is not easy, right? Especially when you have a, a career, you're a professional, and you're trying to balance the two. And I wanted to get your perspective and maybe for listeners, our parents as well. How are you balancing the two, being the Katie, the professional and being Katie, the mom? <laughs> yeah, great question. And congratulations on the one oh, on the way. Uh, <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me, right? I have Riley, she's seven. She goes to school during the day. So that's pretty typical. But the biggest thing for me is that I have an eight-month-old Archie who stays home with me all day. He is currently napping. Really great timing. I know. But Archie was a struggle at first because when they're babies, they just kind of sit there and Google IU and it's, it seems like it's easy. Hey, what are all these people saying? It's so hard. <laughs> but now when he's eight months, right? Like he's starting to crawl around. He's nonstop moving when he's awake. And he really loves to be held. He will not sit in the mm. playpen, do any of that. So there came this moment about a month ago where I was like, how do I do this? Right? Like how, what is happening? Like, how can I not lose my mind when I have back-to-back days and I have this baby at home. And so I decided that I was going to stop being apologetic about Archie. I'm not going to let Archie, I'm not going to apologize for having a child, right? I love Archie. I'm not sorry he's here. And, And kind of got into every call with that mindset, right? And so if he was awake right now, he would be on my lap unapologetically. And we would just have to do this with him here, right? And we'd figure out a way. And there's little tips and tricks, right? This microphone is because it's noise canceling. So if Archie's in the background of a customer call that I have and he's making a bunch of noise, they're not going to be able to hear that. So it's all about how I can focus 
while also ensuring that I'm giving him the attention that he needs. I will pause a phone call if he needs me. It's all just really about not allowing yourself to feel shame for the job of motherhood, right? And so I think, and I, a lot of people don't have that freedom. I want to be very clear here. I am extremely lucky to work for Sendoso and to work for the people that I work for because they fully understand that my children come first in any situation, right? But there are companies out there and leaders out there that do not offer that same support. And so it's really important to look at yourself as a leader and ensure that you are actually providing the best workplace possible for working mothers. Shout out to Sendoso because that's important, right? Making parents feel like they belong. Hey, we understand that you're a parent and that sometimes you might get interrupted, but you have to take care of Archie. <laughs> and that's so important. But also what you mentioned also, because I, I did that too at the beginning. I kept apologizing for Lucia, like interrupting podcasts or calls. But then I realized, no, I, I'm not going to apologize because that's my season right now, right? This is the season yeah. of toddlers and babies and <laughs> whoever doesn't understand, sorry. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what's interesting is that I was so nervous at first for Archie to pop up on these calls, right? With Riley, it wasn't an issue because I was not working for the first bit of her life. But with Archie, it was this new experience. And I was so nervous that people would get annoyed if he popped up on camera. And I have to say, I've never had a single person not ooh and ah over Archie popping up on camera, right? If anything, I think it's almost like a really great icebreaker to bring. And a lot of people too know Archie from the videos that I post on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I've had people say, I expect to see Archie on our next call and hold me to it. So I think honestly, it's just moms, you got to give and dads, you got to give yourself a break and allow yourself some leniency, right? And some understanding and just don't be apologetic about your life and your family and your why. I think it's when you think about it like that, it becomes so silly. It's just this anxiety point. And if you're working for people that don't understand, then, you know, maybe reconsider who you're working for or leaders, be better leaders. Any funny story that pops up top of mind that involves whatever kids and work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a million, right? His whole life, he's been a, there's COVID babies and then there's Archie, who is a Zoom baby. He's very <laughs> used to Zoom. But I think the funniest call was back when I was a frontline manager. I had a team and we called ourselves the Goat Pen, right? Because my last <laughs> name is Penner, whatever. And so, you know, our mascot was the goat, greatest of all time. It was so fitting. It was perfect. And I got Archie this like baby goat costume and I put him on it and I surprised my team, the whole team, not just my team, all the different teams at the time with him in this suit on a group Zoom call. And all of my fellow managers were making fun of me and cracking jokes. Oh, he hates this. He's so mad. And I was like, no, he loves it. And I look at Archie and then he just spits up all over me. They're like, <laughs> it was really funny because it was just like, he was so incorporated into 
our team and we had his own Slack reaction picture of him in this goat uniform. I mean, he's just so integrated into Sendoso and what I do. And everyone that I work with knows his name. It's just a really great situation. And I've never felt uncomfortable or like I couldn't progress my career. And so it's been really amazing. Honestly, Sendoso should start cutting Archie checks at this point. <laughs> Royalties. Yeah. But something key that you mentioned there is integration. Mm. I think that is the word integration. Like how can you help parents integrate their personal life and their careers in a way that they feel in flow, yeah. right? Because then it just feels like you're living two lives, right? Trying to pull it together with your left and your right. But when everything is integrated, right? It's just, it's, it becomes one. Right. Yeah. And work-life, the whole concept of like work-life balance, right? I think most people, when they think work-life balance, it's okay, I work nine to five, eight to five, and then I shut my computer and I'm away and I'm with my family. And that's their idea of this concept of work-life balance. But when you have a baby that's at home with you while you're working, there's that's not how that works, right? I have to step away from the computer and feed Archie, change Archie, do those things. So I need to make sure that I'm adding some blocks throughout my day to make sure that I have that time, that I'm not double booked and not able to even do those things, right? And so it's allowing yourself to create your own schedule that ensures that you're doing both jobs to the best of your ability. And so, yeah, that integration is really key. Let's say it is your children are 20, 30 years old. What would you like them to say or remember about you when they're at that age? Oh, wow. <laughs> what a good question. I think they just want to know that their mom helps people. I think like that at my core is what I want and to do in everything that I do. And my intention behind everything is simply just to help other people make other people's lives a little easier, a little better. So I hope that when they grow up, they are able to say that about their mom. Well, I think you're doing an amazing job <laughs> and you're on track. The way you show up on LinkedIn, right? And I know LinkedIn is a social media profile, but there, I've been on LinkedIn for since 2008. So I can tell the difference between something that is for lack of a better term, fake and something that is authentic and you are on the authentic side, right? And that is so refreshing. And I would agree that you come off as someone that wants to help, that genuinely wants to help, is not afraid of being vulnerable. And I think that's why people gravitate towards you because they find that to be refreshing, right? In a yeah. sea, in that blue ocean that is LinkedIn of like tactical advice at times very shallow and superficial you go deep into katie the professional into katie the person katie the mom and yeah it just shows right so i would agree with that i think your kids will say yeah my mom is helpful loves to help people i hope so <laughs> i hope so and i really appreciate it i think hearing those things is so so crazy i started on this linkedin journey where i just started being active like a little over three months ago. And that mm -hmm. isn't that mind blowing? It hasn't been that long. And so I think this 
this crazy amount of response that I'm getting is just extremely overwhelming in a good way, right? It's insane to see how it's resonating with people. And I think it just really makes me realize that it's so important, right? Especially the moms that are out there. I've gotten invited, gotten into some mentorship opportunities with different communities so I can help people with career trajectories and growth and all that. But the the biggest thing on LinkedIn is the moms, right? When I posted that that video with Archie, the my DMs were filled with moms that were struggling with coming back from maternity leave. They're scared. They have no one to talk to about this. They're they don't want to talk to their boss or their coworkers. They don't have that same environment that I do. And so I think it's really interesting to be able to resonate with those people, those people that aren't liking, they can't call because they're mm-hmm. scared of retaliation, but, you know, from their jobs. But those people that it's affecting in my DMs, I think that is why I'm here. And that's why I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing is to have that voice and to be that mentor, or that friend, that, that bit of guidance for those people that are afraid to speak out. Yes, that's so important. Yeah. And one one last question here, and then I want to do a rapid fire round to wrap up the episode. But I wanted to touch on mentorship, right? You're involved in a couple of communities as a mentor. And I wanted to ask you, why is mentorship important to you? As I built this community, right, and gotten this level of response, one of the things that I promised myself is that I want to give to this community as much as I um, feel like I'm being given, right? And so I, every day that I post something, I'm just amazed. And so I want to be sure that I am giving as much as I possibly can. And so mentorship seems like an amazing way to really get in depth with one person and hopefully have a really positive impact on their life, their career, their trajectory. And if I can give them any bits of advice that have helped me along the way, then I would say I'm. it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah, being a mentor is super rewarding. Now, I want, I want to flip that a little bit. What would you advise someone that is a giver, but they feel themselves as like they're a little burnt out from too much giving? What would you re- recommend to them? Ooh, yeah. I mean, if you're feeling burnt out, in any fashion. And I was feeling burnt out a couple of weeks ago, right? There's back-to-back calendars, there's babies. I mean, eventually I'm going to feel a little burnt out. I say, take some time off, take some PTO, take a few days to actually unplug, delete Slack from your phone, delete your email, just go to a beach somewhere or go on vacation or go to bed. Do whatever you need to do to relax because feeling burnt out is real and it is so important to take care of your mental health. And a few days away usually does the trick for me. Yeah, as a giver, I've been there many times and I have to constantly remind myself, like you can't be given 24 hours. You have to at least a couple of hours recharge so that you can continue giving. So that's why I asked yeah. the question. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, like you need to make sure that you're giving to the right people. Right. I think like it's really easy as a giver to get burnt out when you're constantly giving to people that maybe don't appreciate it or aren't taking that advice or but so you have to find people that are hungry to learn that 
are motivated to learn. And sometimes you have to get that out of them, right? Teach them how to find their why. But yeah, I would just say, if you're feeling that way, question why you're feeling that way. What have you been giving recently? What is not fulfilling in that giving journey, right? And kind of figure it out from there. Yeah, I love that. Awesome, Katie. Well, I want to do a rapid fire round uh, oh, yeah. as, as a way to wrap up the episode. And okay. super simple, right? I'll ask you a simple question and you just give the, the top of my answer in the 30, 60 seconds. Okay. All right. First question. One book that has greatly influenced your life. Looking at my books. I think like one that I really like is over here. What is it called? Give and Take. I think that's a really good book. Kind of talks about the balance of kind of what we were talking about, right? Like how to not get burnt out when you're giving. So I would probably go with that one. There's so many though. I literally have like 10 different <laughs> books around me right now. Hit me up for book recommendations, but Give and Take is my most recent favorite. Give and Take is a good one. Is that the one by Adam Grant? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Adam Grant is, is yeah, he's great. I love his, his post. Awesome. Next question. One of the most worthwhile investments that you have made recently, and when I say investments, it could be financially, it could be physical, it could be a relationship. I just purchased like a license of Anaboto, which is this like really basic video editing tool. And that's what I've been using for my videos and just trying to level them up a little bit. But I'm also doing all of our video editing for Sendoso using it. So I think that it's been the most effective burn foods recently. It's not very exciting, but I love it. No, I love that, right? Anything that can help you 10x your, your output. Yeah. And I'm curious, why? what was it about Animoto that made you? Yeah, so I think like the user interface is really mm -hmm. friendly. So typically I'll get like a large video and have to clip it into smaller clips and kind of insert some branding and all of that. And so I think it's just a really user-friendly platform, right? Like I don't have video editing background, so I need a tool that's going to be easy, quick, and effective. And I think that's just with my personal experience, I've loved it so far. Yeah, I'm the same way when it comes to software, ease of use. Yeah. Awesome. Next question. Is there any quote or maybe a life model that, that you live by? Gosh, I think the biggest thing is just, and this is so simple and such a silly answer, but just be kind. And I think I had everything that I do, I try to lead with kindness. And that's kind of what I teach my kids. I think it's kind of more of a family motto, right? And everything that we do, whether that's in school or at work or while we're playing with friends, right? Like, we have to lead with kindness, everything, and have good intentions. And so that's what I would say is our overarching motto. Yeah. Simple, underrated, and not easy to implement, I would say, but definitely yeah. important. Yeah. I think it's broad because it can apply to everything, right? Every situation, it all comes back to just being kind and leading with good intentions. Awesome. Next, next question here. In the last year, any habit that you have put in place that has improved your life, your output at work? Yeah. So I think recently I've started waking up earlier. 
I am not a morning person at all. So in the past, I would wake up like 20 minutes before my daughter had to be at school. And then I'd be fumbling around trying to get her ready, trying to get the baby ready. And we'd be just on time every day. And that's like stress inducing. So I started waking up earlier. I wake up at 6 a.m., which probably doesn't seem very early to a lot of people. But to me, that is early. (laughs) And so now I have time to check my schedule as I'm laying in bed, go take a shower while the kids are still sleeping, make some coffee, right? And I think it's so simple, but I never thought that I would be a morning person and purposely wake up earlier than my kids. But honestly, it's been really nice to have that moment to myself, to have that time to kind of ease up into the day. I'm working on that myself, waking up earlier. I ambitiously set up my alarm at 5.15, but I've, I've failed in the past yeah. week. Yeah, it, it's hard. It's tough waking up. <laughs> it is. But last question to, to wrap up the episode. What will be your, one of your takeaways that listeners can absorb from this episode as it relates to their career and, and even becoming a parent? Yeah, so I think the biggest takeaways, hopefully for you, are that when it comes to your career, there is opportunity to always be searching for gaps within your company if you're looking for advancement opportunities. And if you find those gaps, be sure that you're going into those conversations very prepared, factual, not emotional, and sell yourself. Use it. Use this as a tool to sell. And then when it comes to parenthood and being a parent and working as a parent, Try to be more unapologetic. Make sure that you're working for people who truly support you as a mother, as a father. Um, and honestly, have fun with it, right? Make sure that you're time blocking to, to give yourself time to not get overwhelmed, to have time to really be one-on-one with them. And ultimately, just go out there and put your head down and crush it. Love it. And Katie, where can people find you? What's the best way to to reach out to you if people want to get in contact with you? Yeah, so find me on LinkedIn. Connect with me. I am always willing to connect and chat. So shoot me a message. Awesome, Katie. Well, thanks so much for your time and being generous. And until next time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you and you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.